This is The Guardian. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Picture the scene. It's Christmas Day. You spent weeks shopping for friends and family, and finally, it's time to open the presents under the tree. It might be a moment of excited anticipation, or if present buying isn't your thing, utter dread as they slowly unwrap the box to reveal a nose hair trimmer, the wrong size socks, a book they've already read, a bottle of gin for the teetotaler, Even if you don't celebrate Christmas, presents for any occasion can be a wonderful way to express your love and gratitude, but they can also be a total minefield. So what's the psychology behind gift giving? And does science have any clues as to how we can do it better? From The Guardian, I'm Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. Julian Givy, you're an assistant professor in marketing at West Virginia University. You spent some time researching the psychology of gift giving. Almost every culture around the world exchanges gifts in one way or another. It clearly serves an important function. So why do we give presents in the first place? The first reason is because we want to make other people happy, right? If you think about it, this is kind of the most genuine reason you can give someone a gift. You have a very altruistic motive. Secondly, and this one's maybe a little bit more surprising, um, and it's definitely not one I predicted when I started studying gift giving. We sometimes give gifts because there's some selfish reasons, right? We might give a nice gift to someone because we want them to look at us positively, right? We might want to look like a thoughtful person. 
And third, somewhere kind of in between the two is the motivation that's driven by a desire to kind of improve both of our welfare. So to kind of grow the relationship between me and the recipient, right? And then kind of the fourth reason, it has to do with social norms. Christmas, we have to give gifts to those around us. You know, Hanukkah, same type of thing. And there's this norm we have to follow saying that, okay, whenever these things pop up, we have to give gifts. And so we kind of do so to follow the norm. One thing you focus on in particular is mismatched presents, something that we all dread when you you give an unwanted present or maybe worse, you sort of have to pretend you love something you've received when you hate it. How much money do we all spend on these unwanted presents? <laughs> so I can't give you a, an answer on exactly how much money, but kind of fortunate from a resource perspective, there are these mistakes. Um, you know, I've been studying gift giving for a number of years and there's lots of different ways in which we can kind of classify gifts, right? There's material versus experiential. You can classify gifts based on, um, let's say, whether they are sentimental or superficial, right? We can also classify gifts as um, useful versus fun, right? Do we give the toaster oven? Do we give the chocolate fondue fountain? All of these different ways in which we can categorize gifts, research seems to be showing that oftentimes givers get wrong when they're kind of deciding between uh, two categories of gifts. So if givers are deciding between, let's say, a fun gift and a useful gift, sometimes their choices don't exactly reflect uh, what recipients would prefer to receive. So again, givers and recipients don't always see eye to eye in terms of choosing between uh, the different categories of gifts. What does the science say about what makes the best kind of gift? One thing that I think drives a lot of these uh, gifting mistakes are different focuses between givers and recipients. So whenever givers give gifts, they tend to really seem to focus on the moment of the exchange or the moment that the bow comes off, right? They want the gift to be flashy. They want it to surprise the recipient, right? They want to get all these reactions out of them. But what we found is that recipients are actually, you know, they, they care about that to, to a degree. But what they are really focused on is actually down the road, like, you know, okay, in two weeks from now, in two months from now, I'm actually going to really use this gift, right? Is this gift going to bring me value whenever, you know, is it not going to be something just sitting in the back of my closet, right? Not a chocolate fondue fountain that, you know, it's going to be great at the moment moment that I rip rip it open, right? It's going to make people laugh. It's going to be funny, that kind of thing. But how often am I going to use a chocolate fondue fountain throughout the year? And a second theme that I think is, is important is I think recipients uh, really, really care about uh, feeling cared about. And if you think about the really good gifts we receive, ones that make us feel emotional and warm and, and just generate pure happiness, these are the things that, that show us, okay, my friends, my families, my, my coworkers, whoever, um, they care about me. So things like, you know, things like a scrapbook, or maybe it's a, it's a customized, uh, you know, coffee mug with, with, with your name on it, right? Recipients are, are a lot more open to those gifts than givers anticipate and Moreover, uh, seminal gifts actually are less prone to fall to what's known as the hedonic treadmill. So in consumer psychology, there's a finding that shows that our happiness with products, you know, say I get a new iPhone or, or, or a new shirt or something, uh, generally our happiness starts off very high with these items and then kind of falls over time. But with sentimental items, these their happiness stays high for long periods of time. So it's much less prone to this hedonic treadmill effect. And what's the thinking on things like just giving people cash or gift cards not not that this is anything you know remotely relevant to what i'm doing this christmas i'm definitely giving some gift cards but uh, in part because of the research i'm about to tell you about so funny enough you know yesterday i was on linkedin and i got tagged in a post by someone it was an uh, an economist uh it was, it was a poll a survey of economists and they, they asked them, okay, you know, according to economic theory, you should always give cash as gifts, right, over tangible presents because of the, the 
apparent deadweight loss of, of tangible presence. So in other words, if you give someone a, a product as a gift, there's a chance that you're giving them something they don't like. But then if you give someone cash as a gift, there's no chance that they're going to get something that they don't like, right? They can use the money to go buy it. That's kind of strict economic theory. And one, one of the responses in that kind of said, well, you know, if you really want to test economic theory on uh, Valentine's Day this this upcoming uh, year, give your spouse, uh, you know, twenty dollars in cash and see how that turns out. But when you when you ask, uh, you know, givers and recipients about the prospect of giving, you know, a gift card versus like a more tangible item, uh, once again, what we see is that givers are far less open to giving gift cards, but recipients are like, well, you know, if I don't like the item, you know what I mean, give me the gift card so I have some flexibility in what to do. I think some of the best presents I've had over the years have been experiences like, you know, tickets to a show or a dinner out or something like that. Does the research tend to back that up, that these experiences can be really well received? There's this thing that's called the uh, experiential advantage. So basically, experiences tend to produce more happiness than material items. So naturally, the gift-giving kind of literature has, has started examining this as well. And it's kind of generally uh, found the same things. And not only that, uh, there's a couple of other interesting findings with this. So first of all, experiences also tend to bring you closer to the person who gave them to you as compared to uh, material gifts. Funny enough, it actually seems to hold regardless of whether the giver is using the experience with the recipient. And then finally, the research also shows that givers don't seem to give uh, experiences as often as recipients would prefer to receive them. And I'm interested in whether there are sort of unspoken rules around gift giving. I mean, we know we shouldn't take the sort of the worst bottle of wine along to a dinner party sort of thing. Are there similar rules in, you know, for other types of gift giving? Yeah, so there's a ton of them with gift giving, right? There's norms for uh, when to give. Like I was saying, you know, if, if you have a friend with a birthday, you have to give them a gift. There's what you should give. And uh, what we found is that actually, even though these norms exist, um, givers seem to care about them a lot, a great deal more than recipients. There's kind of a norm that says, you know, whenever you give someone a gift, you should give them something that that is completely new, right? It's not, there's there's kind of an informal rule, rule saying that we shouldn't be giving sort of secondhand or used products as gifts. But whenever you ask givers and recipients about this idea, you know, givers are much more likely to say, yeah, yeah, I totally would never give a give a used thing. But recipients are like, well, you know, if I, if I like this dictionary, even if it's used, if it's a great dictionary, like, yeah, sure, I'll take it. You know, there's definitely norms. There's there and there's there's more norms that I than I could you know list off here, right? You think about it. There's a there's a norm for every aspect of, of the holidays, right? Um, but what we found is that generally speaking, givers seem to be more um, more sensitive to these these norms than recipients. So for all the people out there who are panicking about the Christmas presents they still have to buy, what's your main advice, Julian? The first piece of advice is uh, to consider going with something sentimental. Around this time of year, lots of the items that we give tend to be more superficial in nature, right? It might be the sports jersey, the, you know, the food item, the, the jewelry, whatever, the electronics. However, in my, my research, what we find is that even though these, these superficial items are given quite often, seminal gifts tend to really much be a hit. And then uh, the second piece of advice I, I would say is um, don't necessarily think just about the moment the, the recipient is, is ripping the, the wrapping paper open underneath the tree. Also kind of focus on the, the ownership component of the gift. And the final piece of advice that I'd suggest to everyone is 
make sure that you're trying to make the recipient happy, right? Because as I mentioned before, whenever whenever we're kind of choosing gifts, uh, there can kind of be these selfish motives that come into play. So consumers are very averse to giving items that they own themselves. So if I have like a, a special, you know, customized Harry Kane jersey or something like that, I won't want to give it to my brother because that will make my jersey feel less unique. So try to put these these more selfish things aside whenever you're giving a gift, because if ultimately what you want to do is make the recipient happy, right? You should be trying to to give the gifts that will do just that as opposed to give the gifts that you necessarily want to receive. And actually, as, as I was talking here, a, a fourth kind of piece of advice came to my mind. You know, we give gifts all throughout the year, right, for all these different special occasions. But what my research shows is that even though we, we do this, right, we give gifts for the holidays, for, for Mother's Day, Father's Day, all these kind of occasions, it seems to be a lot easier to make recipients happy when you're just kind of giving gifts for no occasion at all, right? You're just kind of giving them out of the blue. So uh, definitely consider doing that, right? And, and the kind of the, the double benefit of this is that if you if you do this, you don't have to spend a ton on the gift, right? You can give a simple a simple keychain or a simple card, you know, on these random days, they're going to make your friends and family quite happy. You're an expert in gifts, Julian. It's tough for you because you've set the bar high. Everyone expects you to be good at this. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's another piece of advice to everyone out there listening is don't don't make gift giving your your way of uh, making a living because then everyone expects the most amazing gift in the world, <laughs> right? And if you if you fail to deliver, then you're really going to hear about it. Julian, many thanks for coming on. This is invaluable information for many of our listeners, I'm sure. Really good to talk to you. Ah, thanks for having me on. This was great. Thanks again to Dr. Julian Givy. Now, before you go, it's that time of year when I tell you about The Guardian and The Observer's 2022 charity appeal. As the cost of living crisis pushes 14.5 million people below the poverty line in the UK, families across the country are facing a bleak Christmas period. Join us as we raise funds for charities working on the front line. All your donations will go to Citizens Advice and Locality, supporting those who have been hit the hardest. Donate at theguardian.com forward slash charity appeal 2022. That's theguardian.com forward slash charity appeal 2022. We've also put a link on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. The producers were Madeline Finley and Ned Carter-Miles. Sound design was by Tony Onachuku, and the executive producer was Georgia Moody. If you celebrate it, we hope you have a very Merry Christmas. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson, Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hi. 
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.